One of the ways I've been uh, ending my emails with uh, folks who need prayer or uh, that kind of stuff is, what a time to be alive. And so (laughs) uh, it continues to be that. So I I know that something happened with the technical difficulties earlier, just a little bit ago. And um, maybe you got uh, confused about Kevin's announcement about uh, us trying to figure out what we're going to do. And that's trying to figure out what we're going to do, trying to figure out what we're going to do, trying to figure out what we're going to do about reopening. That's what you should hear. Um, Don't panic uh, and don't become an expert. Because uh, uh, one of the things, one of the things that's going to be fascinating about this is, as, as an observer and someone who's gotten a lot of advice over the last uh, seventy-two hours or so, is when we get all of y'all together, you all have so many different opinions about what to do. It's going to be awesome to get everybody together in one room. So. Uh, um, yeah, so that'll be really cool. Also, I noticed that the part of the service uh, went out before, I guess we got to the Lord's Prayer. That That's correct, right? Hey, people out there, we missed the Lord's Prayer, right? We didn't stream the Lord's Prayer, did we? We recorded audio. Well, you know what? You know what we're going to do? Kind of to orient ourselves before I read the text and get back to things here. We're going to say the Lord's Prayer. Uh and so uh, before I, I read the scripture or anything like that, because I think it would be a good thing for us, as we say up here from the Westminster Confession, that we ask that God, by his grace, would make us able and willing to know, obey, and submit to his will in all things, as the angels do in heaven, right? So uh, join me now in prayer. Let's pray. Our Father, who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Thy kingdom come, thy will be done, on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread, and forgive us our trespasses, as we forgive those who trespass against us. And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from the evil one. For thine is the kingdom and the power and the glory forever and ever. Amen. Okay, well, I feel better. So, uh, that's good. One thing you guys need to note, I hope none of you were out on the road uh, between uh, Joe Brown's house and the church when the live stream went out because he got here in 30 seconds. So just uh, Henrico County, you guys need to be on alert about that. So we are kind of starting a new series and kind of not because we're going to begin today with Nehemiah. Uh, In the uh, uh, Bible that Jesus had, Ezra and Nehemiah were one book. They uh, just one went, went went straight in into the other because they're covering basically the the same amount of time. So, but today we're gonna we're gonna look at uh, Nehemiah chapter one verses one through eleven. Uh, it's been about thirteen years since the close of Ezra, and uh, now our, we're gonna shift our focus. Uh, the primary character that we're gonna look at and we're gonna hear from is this man named Nehemiah, and we get introduced to him today. Uh, A couple of things to say before I read the text about Nehemiah that are worth noting is uh, he just bursts onto the scene. Not a lot of information about his background, not a lot of information about how he grew up, who his parents were, any of those sorts of things. But we see him kind of at the height of his, a man at the, the height of his career. 
um, and uh, uh, moving and working in uh, the highest uh, circles of power in the world. And so uh, it's, uh, it's, it's a pretty profound and interesting uh, uh, situation that we, that we find him in. So we, like I said, 13 years ago, we closed out uh, um, uh, Ezra. And now we're going to pick up with the story of what God's doing with the people there in Jerusalem uh, with Nehemiah chapter 1, uh, 13, some 13 years later. So let me read to you uh, the text uh, in Nehemiah 1 verses 1 to 11. This is God's word. We should hear it and respond to it as such this morning. The words of Nehemiah, the son of Hekeliah. Now it happened in the month of Chislev in the 20th year as I was in Susa, the citadel, that Hanani, one of my brothers, came with certain men from Judah. And I asked them concerning the Jews who escaped, who had survived the exile, and concerning Jerusalem. And they said to me, the remnant there, and the province who had survived the exile is in great trouble and shame. The wall of Jerusalem is broken down and its gates are destroyed by fire. As soon as I heard these words, I sat down and wept and mourned for days. And I continued fasting and praying before the God of heaven. And I said, O Lord God of heaven, the great and awesome God who keeps covenant and steadfast love with those who love him and keep his commandments. Let your ear be attentive and your eyes open to hear the prayer of your servant that I now pray before you day and night for the people of Israel, your servants, confessing the sins of the people of Israel, which we have sinned against you. Even I and my father's house have sinned. We have acted very corruptly against you and have not kept the commandments, the statutes and the rules that you commanded your servant Moses. Remember the word that you commanded your servant Moses, saying, If you are unfaithful, I will scatter you among the peoples. But if you return to me and keep my commandments and do them, though your outcasts are in the uttermost parts of heaven, from there I will gather them and bring them to the place that I have chosen to make my name dwell there. They are your servants and your people, whom you have redeemed by your great power and by your strong hand. O Lord, let your ear be attentive to the prayer of your servant and to the prayer of your servants who delight to fear your name and give success to your servant today and grant him mercy in the sight of this man, that is the mercy in the sight of the king. Now I was cupbearer to the king. So uh, pretty pr profound uh, text here. And uh, Nehemiah opens with, uh, this picture of him uh, being uh, in the citadel there in Susa. Susa was the, and the citadel there was the winter uh, uh, palace uh, for uh, the emperor of uh, um, um, uh, the Persians. And uh, uh, based on archaeology, it was a very large place, a very opulent place, uh, uh, pretty pretty incredible uh, 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 place uh, to spend your winter. And Nehemiah is there in the inner circle of the king. Uh, he's the cupbearer of the king. And the cupbearer of the king is a very important position. Persian kings were terrified that someone would poison them, right? Um, unlike with uh, one, of, one of the differences between being a king and a president, if you're a president, you just get impeached or uh, usually or... Uh, or you get um, uh, voted out of office, right? 
But with kings, the only way to get rid of them is to kill them. It's for them to die, right? And so they were always in fear that, that, that something like that would happen. So the cupbearer stayed with the king all the time, protected him, tasted his food, drank his wine, was with him uh, in all of the uh, uh, affairs of state and, and was there. Uh, and it had to be somebody that the king trusted utterly. So Nehemiah is an important figure. Now, it's interesting to note that Nehemiah is this important figure. He's, he's a faithful follower of the God of Israel. He's a, a, a faithful Jew. And yet here he is at the very center of power uh, in the world, right? Uh, and it's a, it's a pretty, uh, it's a, it's a very powerful position. Uh, he gets word, this man here named Hanani, who might actually be one of his brothers, might actually be in his family, and some other Jewish men return from Jerusalem, and he goes to them to find out how the people of God are faring in Jerusalem. And he gets a devastating report. What he says is, what they tell him is, is that the walls are still broken down, that the gates have been burned with fire, and the, it's, oh, there's a lot of shame and trouble there. Now, we know that there were attempts earlier uh, to rebuild the walls and to rebuild the gates. We're not clear exactly what happened there, but the fact that the walls are broken down and that the gates have been burned is, is, is something has happened in the last 13 or, 13 or so years to cause uh, there to be this shameful, sad situation there in Jerusalem. And so it's bad news. And he reacts. It says, as soon as I heard these words, I sat down and wept and mourned for days. And I continued fasting and praying before the God of heaven. Which, which is, leads me to a great question. What do you do when you get bad news? What do you do? Um, I, was, I was thinking about this this week. Um, I remember the uh, uh, when my dad was really sick and, and was uh, was dying. We uh, he had to have some uh, exploratory surgery so we could figure out exactly what was going on. And this was just a week before he died, and uh, we're waiting in the, my brother and Marty and I and my sister-in-law are waiting in the uh, waiting room to for the surgeon to come back and tell us what he discovered. And so he comes back and he gives us bad news, basically that dad was going to die and that, um, you know, the, the best thing that we could do was to make him comfortable. Well, I begin to well up with tears. I begin to uh, to get v- very sad. My brother, who uh, jumps up, has a magazine or something in his hand and slings it across the... Uh, uh, the waiting room, he's furious. And I thought to myself at the time, I'm like, you know, I am a better person than my brother. <laughs> I am reacting here with appropriate sadness and he is reacting with inappropriate anger. So uh, as we got done there, we moved, went back up to stairs to meet dad when he came out of recovery. And there was another doctor there who I didn't really like who came out to talk to us. And for some reason, something we're, as we're having a conversation, uh, at some point in the conversation, I feel Marty pulling me back. She's got her hand on my elbow trying to pull me back because for some reason, I found myself in this doctor's personal space going like this in her face to get her to answer my questions. And it dawned on me that 
oh, that's how I deal with bad news. Um, I don't know how you deal with it. Some people get very discouraged. They despair. Um, Some people get angry. Uh, I like to mix the both of them. I like to be sad and then find somebody that I can get in a fight with. Because that usually that usually makes me feel better in a situation like that. Uh, what does Nehemiah do? And I think it's it's worth our uh, time and energy to think about that because we live in a day and age where there's a lot of bad news. Um, and my expectation is uh, that there will continue to be a lot of bad news. Um. Not only uh, in terms of uh, uh, the coronavirus, COVID-19, and the, the startling uh, and unacceptable number of deaths that we are experiencing every day from that, uh, but also uh, the vast and unknown, really, economic, psychological, spiritual, sociological uh, suffering uh, that has happened and is likely to continue happening. So we are, we're going to have more bad news. Um, And so what do we do when we get that bad news? Um, uh, You know, there's some of us who refuse to accept bad news. Uh, There are some of us who, uh, when we receive bad news, immediately begin to formulate a solution or a way to fix it. Um, But what we see with Nehemiah is, I think, a good uh, model for us under Christ to think about what to do when you get bad news. Because what he says is, as soon as I heard these words, I sat down. Right? So he stops what he's doing. He sits down to absorb uh, the terrible news that he gets. And he cries. And it says he mourns here for days, right? But even as he's mourning and even as he's crying, it says he continued fasting and praying before the God of heaven. And we'll know as we pick up next week that the period of time between the time he gets the news and when he actually goes to the emperor to ask him to send him back to Jerusalem to help with the problem, it's around four months, give or take. And so, so what he is doing here is he is receiving this, this bad news. He's absorbing it. He's mourning it. He's grieving it. He's allowing himself to feel the sadness of this. But he's not paralyzed. Because what he is doing is, as he receives the bad news, understands it for what it is, rather than seeking out expert opinion about what to do about it or rather than seeing about a way to um, uh, kind of inoculate himself against it, he turns to the only source of help. He mourns, he fasts, and he prays, right? And so this prayer here is one of the the, the, the most profound uh, uh, prayers in uh, all of Scripture. Actually, we, we could spend many, many weeks uh, on this prayer, but there, <clears throat> there's just a couple of things I want you to get this morning about uh, Nehemiah's prayer that will help us uh, turn our hearts in the midst of getting bad news and in the midst of heartbreak uh, 
uh, to uh, to the God uh, who can hear us, the God who can help us, right? So he says, he comes right out of this, and he says, O Lord God of heaven, the great and awesome God, who keeps covenant and steadfast love. He begins here at the beginning of his prayer, uh, and this is the whole reason why he turns to God, because if your God is only sovereign, if your God is only uh, uh uh, you know, uh, kind of soft in the sense that he only sympathizes with you or that he's just harsh and that he just dictates things. If that's the way your God is, then then the character of your God is going to shape what you do, how you think about him and how you turn to him. Nehemiah is the key thing that he sees about God is not just his power and his sovereignty and not just necessarily his mercy and his love, but the fact that the, uh, the character of God is most clearly demonstrated to us in the fact that he ties himself to us. He is a covenant-making and a covenant-keeping God. And he made that covenant with Abraham millennia before, and it's still in force. God is still looking at his people and behaving towards them because of his character, because he made a promise to them to be a God to them and for them to be his people. And through all the ups and downs and through all the, the rebellions and the, the uh, cold heartedness and all of those things, God is still the God of these people. And these people, as rebellious and weak and silly and small as they are, they're his people. They're still his people. And he is still their God. And, and Nehemiah recognizes that, right? Has, because he, he comes to them and says, you are the great and awesome God who keeps covenant and steadfast love. And so that is the first thing that he gets is that in the midst of bad news, he remembers, oh, yeah, there's a God who loves me. There's a God who's tied himself to me. And uh he has eyes and ears and a heart turned toward me. I need to turn toward him and I need to cry out to him. Now, this is a, you know, a very, a, a great prayer. And, you know, he doesn't, he doesn't just pray this prayer every single day for five months. This is kind of a, a digest, kind of a compendium of all the things and the way in which he approached his God. I'm sure there are some days where he prayed for hours, some days where he only prayed for a few minutes, but his heart and his orientation is toward the steadfast love of God, this covenant-keeping God, and he goes to him and he prays, right? He turns uh, uh, his uh, eyes and his, uh, his, his heart toward this God who can uh, be his helper. Secondly, the next thing that he does is, is he confesses his sins, right? Um, he says, you know, be attentive to us, have your eyes opened to us, hear the prayer of your servant, right? Uh, and for the people of Israel, your servants, confessing the sins of the people of Israel, which we have sinned against you. Even I and my father's house have sinned. We have acted very corruptly against you and have not kept the commandments, the statutes and the rules that you commanded your servant Moses, right? So there's no hiding. There's no kind of maintaining his own sense of self-righteousness or anything like that. He sees the character of God. He sees the kindness and the love and the steadfastness of God. And immediately it turns him to confess his sin. Listen, listen. When you're confronted with bad news, and you're continually confronted with bad news. 
One of the worst things that we could do is to respond to that with self-righteousness rather than respond to a submissiveness to God that says, I have sinned. And I want to say something here that is, that's, that's, that's kind of challenging to modern ears. Um, and it's this. We, we walk about with an expectation of, uh, I deserve better than this. Right? I, I deserve better. Um, and and when, we, when we give in to that kind of thinking, then it becomes very easy for us to come, to come at God and to come at one another without any sense at all that I am a sinner in the midst of a very difficult and trying situation and uh, that I need God to save me. Right? What, what is happening here is Nehemiah recognizes the fact that they're in the fix that they're in because of sin and because of brokenness. Now, we're in the fix that we're in. We have always been in the fix that we're in because of sin. Coronavirus, COVID-19, is in the world because the world has fallen. Because of sin. Period. That's it. Uh, and so, uh, you know, I've been talking to my neighbors and, you know, one of my neighbors, you know, uh, has come up with the, an understanding. She knows why this is happening. And the reason why this is happening is God is telling us to slow down. That's why. That's it. All you got to do is get the message. God's telling us to slow down. And so she's telling me that, and, you know, I am such a smart aleck. And so I'm listening to this, and I'm, like, nodding my head. And I said to her, can I ask you a question? And she said, yes. I said, do you think God could tell us to slow down without killing so many people? <laughs> so, um, yeah, you can imagine. You can imagine how, uh, uh, how well that went, right? Um, but I think... I think there's there's some some truth in that, that when we come at this, we think, okay, I need to figure this out on the one hand, why this is happening. And if and if we think it's happening because of sin, then we need to find somebody whose sin it is that caused this to happen. And then we can blame them. And then we can feel better about it when the fact of the matter is every single human being has sinned, is under the sway of sin. And as a result of that, the world is broken. So anytime we pray, anytime we go to God, anytime we go to cry out to him, we remember his goodness, his faithfulness, and his mercy. And when we remember that, truly, it cannot help but cause us to say, I am a sinful person and I need saving. And I live in a world that is broken by sin, right? And so he's very quick and uh, uh, very clear and very open and very honest in his confession. Uh, and I think that's one of the reasons why this, this prayer um, has, uh, um, is, is such a gripping prayer is in the midst of his need, in the midst of the bad news, Nehemiah is very quick to say, you know what, uh, I'm going to confess my sins, I'm going to confess the sins of my people. I'm going to confess the sins of my family, uh, and we're going to throw ourselves on 
uh, the mercy of God, right? So he goes on then, he says, we've acted very corruptly against you, right? And then he says, remember the word that you commanded your servant Moses, saying, if you're unfaithful, I will scatter you among the peoples. But if you return to me and keep my commandments and do them, though your outcasts are in the uttermost parts of heaven, from there I will gather them and bring them to the place that I have chosen to make my name dwell there. They are your servants and your people, whom you have redeemed by your great power and by your strong hand. O oh Lord, let your ear be attentive to the prayer of your servant and to the prayer of your ser- servants who delight to fear your name and give success to your servant today and grant him mercy in the sight of this man. So what he's recognizing is he's got to go to the king and do something, speak to him to go. Now he's prayed, he's confessed, he's leaning on the, on the mercy and grace of God. And now he's got to go get permission from the king to go to Jerusalem because he believes that God is calling him to do that, to go back and to deal with the situation there. So uh, we'll pick up with that next week, but I want to make just a couple more points of application uh, um, this morning. Uh, and, and, and the first one is this. Um, you know, it is a, uh, uh, it's a profound thing for us to kind of settle our hearts in uh, this morning uh, to recognize that uh, in the midst of this pandemic uh, and in the midst of what's happening here, the gospel's still true. We're in a very disrupted and disruptive situation. A lot of uncertainty, a lot of confusion, a lot of pain, a lot of weakness, a lot of impatience. But in the midst of this, uh, the cross of Christ is still uh, our proclamation and is still our boast. The empty tomb is still our hope. The coronavirus has and, and the shutdown and all of these things have not canceled those things out. They're still true. And praise God, they're still true. Because what that tells us is that the mercy of God, the steadfast love of God, the covenant love of God has not been canceled. Right. It's still true. It's still real. It's still the ground underneath our feet. And that's what moves us, just like it moved Nehemiah, to keep asking God in the midst of disappointment and the midst of discouragement to keep us turning toward him. Secondly, it's hard to keep turning to God and it's hard to keep believing the gospel when you're tired. And when you're impatient. Uh, and when you're struggling, and when it seems like, honestly, that God is absent, unresponsive, quiet, maybe angry, bitter, maybe God, one of the things I have to war against myself is when I hear another piece of bad news saying in my head, all right, way to go, Jesus. Is that the best you can do, right? So that's a window into my heart. There's a window into the, to the to the struggle that I that I have here, right? So as as we do that, then what is going to give us the uh, uh, energy and the ability in the midst of a situation that is comes with a lot of disappointment and a lot of struggle? What will give us the energy to keep turning and to keep trusting? Well, I think we're not going to find that in ourselves. I think as Nehemiah sees here is is the solid truth 
that no matter what, even in the midst of a difficult situation, God is the great God, the God of heaven, the great and awesome God who keeps covenant and steadfast love. That never changes. And so there may be circumstantial things that go on that cause us to cry out to him in lament, that cause us to cry out to him in grief. The fact is, the love of God has not changed. God's love doesn't wax and wane. It's always intent, intense, directed, purposeful, and passionate for his people. And then lastly, one of the things that I think that's important for us uh, to note here is verse 10, where he points out to, uh, as in his prayer, they, we, are your servants and your people whom you have redeemed by your great power and by your strong hand. Um, it, it, you know, one, one of the things that I try to do when uh, I go to pray with people who are facing surgery and that kind of stuff uh, is to pray with them on the basis of the fact of their uh, identity as belonging not to themselves, uh, but to this great and merciful God. Uh, this person who's experiencing this difficulty, Lord, is yours. And you are theirs. And the reason why that's there's so much comfort and power in that is um, God has not promised us ease, wealth, good health, those things. But what he has promised is to be our God, for us to be his people, and for him to be with us. And so it it is it is a rich thing for us to kind of be reminded that our first and foremost identity is not as a dad or a mom or a, a husband or a wife or a worker or whatever, but my first identity is that I belong to Jesus Christ and he belongs to me by virtue of his life, death, and resurrection for me. Um, and, and that will always be true even when I die. And that's what we bank on, right? That's what we count on. Uh, and that never changes, right? Um, and so one, one last thing in, in this too is um, we are united with Christ in his life, death, and resurrection. And we are united with one another in the fact that we are needy sinners who need a redeemer and we are united in the fact that he is our redeemer. Don't forget that. Don't forget your uh, the fact that we not only belong to Jesus, but we belong to each other. Uh, one of the reasons why I have gone to ending every service with that passage uh, from Romans, uh, rejoice in hope, be patient in tribulation, be constant in prayer, contribute to the needs of the saints and seek to show hospitality is this very reason that as we remember the gospel, as we walk through tribulation, as God keeps turning us towards him in prayer, we also recognize uh, that the way we respond to God's goodness to us is towards our love for one another. Um, 
uh, as he says here, to contribute to the needs of the saints and seek to show hospitality. Uh, there's never been a time uh, in the life of this congregation, probably, where we needed more ability and more understanding that we are in this together. The politically conservative, the politically liberal, the uh, uh, people who are uh, uh, know exactly what we need to do and the people that don't know what we, we need to do, uh, the people who are crippled by fear and the people who are unnecessarily boastful and uh, reckless. We got all kinds. And uh, frankly, as I think about those categories, I'm in one of those camps on a daily basis. <laughs> right? So, I, I, you know, I'm, I'm, I'm all of those things within a 24-hour period. We are in this uh, as sinners, as people who've been redeemed, as people who belong to Jesus. And we are in this together. Uh, in, in a mystical, spiritual uh, way uh, that is profound. Uh, and we need to lean into that. We need to bear with one another because Jesus is bearing with us and has borne with us. And that our union uh, uh, with him and with one another humbles us, unites us, and clarifies for us who we are. So um, uh, in light of that, uh, let, let me pray. Lord, we thank you today for Nehemiah. We thank you for uh, who he is and the way he handled receiving bad news. Oh, God, we, we get bad news all the time. And um, we are, uh, I confess, my sin in being terrible at handling bad news. I confess my sin of blaming my brothers and sisters and looking down on them and thinking less of others, losing my patience. Uh, and so I pray in all of that, Lord, that you would give us uh, grace uh, and uh, give us peace, uh, give us the humility to be quick to confess our own sins and quick to see our, our, our union with uh, you and with other sinners that uh, you have redeemed. So would you help us in that today, we pray? In the name of the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. Amen. So let's uh, confess our sins together. Uh, um, been a lot about confessing of sins, but I think we have a lot of confessing to do. Uh, so Psalm 139, uh, that uh, it will lead us uh, as we uh, confess our sins uh, this morning. Pray with me. You have searched me, Lord, and you know me. You know when I sit and when I rise. You perceive my thoughts from afar. Where can I go from your spirit? Where can I flee from your presence? Search me, God, and know my heart. Test me and know my anxious thoughts. See if there is any offensive way in me and lead me in the way of everlasting. Believer, hear the good news uh, this morning. Here is a trustworthy saying that deserves full acceptance. 
Christ Jesus came into the world to save sinners. Amen.